1: Hello Lakers Nation, welcome in. Trevor Lane here for LakersNation.com, your home for everything Lakers. We do have the Monday mailbag to open up today. We've got a lot of questions and comments coming in from the Lakers. Win over the Golden State Warriors, a massive, incredibly important win. Anthony Davis, oh my goodness, what a monstrous, monstrous game from him. 39 points. The man is a destroyer of worlds. But before we get into that, we need to talk about Rui Hachimura and what is going on with him. A lot of Lakers fans. Not too thrilled with what they've seen out of Rui recently. Darvin Ham addressed the issue, so I want to get into that first. Before I do, a quick reminder, do subscribe to the Lakers Nation YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Lakers Nation. And, of course, give us that five-star rating over on Apple Podcasts as well. We certainly do appreciate it. It's a great way to help out the show. All right, let's start things off with Rui Hachimura. So this, these are Rui's numbers as a Laker. Okay, so as a Laker, 17 games now. Not a big sample size, but not a small sample size either. 17 games with the Lakers, Rui is averaging 24.3 minutes per game, the exact same minutes per game that he was averaging with the Washington Wizards. Rui is scoring 9.4 points per game on 43.5% shooting from the field, 27% from three, 5.2 rebounds. Now, aside from the rebounds, all of those numbers are a significant decrease from the numbers that he was putting up when he was with the Wizards, where he averaged 13 points per game, shot 49% from the field, 34% from three. Numbers dropping across the board. Now, again, Rui is helping. Speaking of board, Rui's helping more on the glass. 5.2 rebounds as a Laker compared to just 4.3 with the Washington Wizards. Usage rate has also dropped t- tremendously in his time with the Lakers compared to the Wizards. Maybe not a surprise. A team that's got LeBron James, got Anthony Davis. D'Angelo Russell, these other players, he even played a little bit with Russell Westbrook before the trade deadline. They've got other guys that can do things, whereas the Wizards were leaning more on Rui to get out there and get the job done. But nonetheless, you look at those shooting numbers, 44%, and I'm rounding up to get there from the field, and 27% from three is not going to get it done. In fact, you would expect those numbers to go up if he's playing alongside LeBron. He's playing alongside Anthony Davis. Other players that are more of a distraction to defenses should create more open looks for Rui Hachimura. That's typically what you see in the NBA, right? When a player joins forces with really good players around them, what tends to happen is their usage drops, their number of shots drops, but their efficiency goes up because their shot quality goes up. So Rui, we are not seeing that effect take place with just yet. And I think it's important to note, He's lost the starting job. I mean, Troy Brown Jr., who's been playing well, has beaten him out for the starting job in the Lakers lineup. That's without LeBron James. And I think that's that's more significant than just Troy is playing better than Rui. Because really, there's more to it than that. Rui Hachimura, the Lakers gave up three second-round picks in order to get him. His salary is several times what Troy Brown's salary is, which means the Lakers, they're more pot-committed to Rui Hachimura than Troy Brown. Troy Brown would have to be significantly better than Rui to get that job and get those minutes. The Lakers have a vested interest in finding out, can Rui be a starter for us? Can Rui play alongside AD? Is Rui a fit long-term, right? Because this is the guy that they have more of an ability to keep this summer than Troy Brown. The Lakers don't have bird rights or anything like that on Troy Brown Jr. They will on Rui Hachimura. So again, all of that comes into play and tells us that, wow, Troy Brown has definitely been outplaying Rui by a significant amount for him to win the starting job. Now, fit is also something to factor in, and it's possible Darvin Ham just looked and saw, hey, Troy Brown, he's shooting 37% from three on the season, been shooting 46%, which is insane over the last 10 games. Rui not shooting well from deep. Let's put the shooter alongside Anthony Davis. It could just be as simple as that, but I think still the point stands that Rui has been, well, maybe a little bit of a disappointment in terms of his scoring. Now, Darvin Ham did address this topic, and I thought it was interesting. Here's what Darvin had to say about Rui Hachimura and his performance so far. He said, I'm really pleased with the way he's played up until this point. I've always encouraged him to just be more aggressive and be more physical. People talk about, uh, with LeBron and D'Lo not available, that it needs to be scoring, scoring, scoring but we need a physicality on the glass. We need a physicality defensively and offensively, a physicality in terms of playing downhill and getting to the rim with aggression. So that's the biggest thing I've been telling him. But up to this point, he's been amazing. He's been great to coach. He listens. He allows himself to be coached. He works hard and he's trying to get better. And we're extremely happy to have him. So that's interesting, right? I mean, Lakers fans have been overwhelmingly down on Rui Hachimura. I mean, I've heard it. All of our post-game shows. I've seen it on Twitter. Lakers fans not thrilled with what they're seeing out of out of Rui Hachimura, and yet here we are. Um, Rui is getting praised by head coach Darvin Ham. So what is what is happening here? So on, on one hand, Darvin is correct in that yes, this team needs more than just scoring, right? They certainly do. They need somebody to help them on the glass. So it's part of why we were saying the Lakers needed more wings they needed guys who were 6'8 or so which Ruby just so happens to be 6'8 he's got a 7'2 wingspan that could help them on the boards because we saw this team play small we saw them play undersized way too often over the course of the season I mean hell we saw we saw moments where Austin Reeves was playing power forward for the Lakers that's how undersized they were so they were begging for some kind of help on the wing that could help them crash the glass And Rui does do that. Again, his rebounds are actually up compared to his time with the Washington Wizards. So check that box. Great. If Darvin has been telling Rui, look, don't necessarily worry just about scoring, but we need you to do these other things. Okay, Rui's doing that. And we saw against OKC, Rui had nine boards and three blocks, really came up big in other areas in that game besides just scoring, which again was fantastic. And Darvin is not wrong in mentioning that, that, hey, we don't need Rui to just score the basketball. We need other things out of him too. So we've been really happy with the other stuff that we've been getting from him. That's yeah, that's, that's all correct. But you also need him to score and you need him to score efficiently. Now I think that there will be a bounce back from Rui at some point sooner rather than later. I think he is a talented player. I think that the yo-yoing in and out of the starting lineup probably hasn't helped that. The revolving door of teammates probably hasn't helped. I mean, when he became a Laker, Russell Westbrook was on the team. Then suddenly there were all these moves at the trade deadline. Six new players came in. Well, he was one of the six. Five other new players came in. Then then you've got uh, LeBron gets hurt. D'Angelo Russell gets hurt. And so now everything is just constantly shifted. So his head's got to be spinning, trying to figure out exactly what's going on, what his role is, who's going to be playing on the floor alongside him. That's not easy. And so I empathize with, with Rui Hachimura for that type of situation. But on top of that, he's got to score the ball, right? He's got to score the ball. So Darvin is Darwin's not wrong by saying, hey, we need other things out of him too, and he's giving us other things. Great, he is, but Rui is known for scoring the basketball. That's, that's what he does. That's his primary thing. It, it would be like if you went and you traded for, well, let's say you traded for Rudy Gobert and teams around the NBA were raising their eyebrows at that trade, and then suddenly he's grabbing three rebounds per game. And you're saying, well, you know what, though? Rudy is suddenly a 20-point-per-game scorer for us, so you know he's he's doing other things for us. Yeah, but the reason why you kind of got him was to help you on the glass. That's what Rui is in terms of scoring the basketball. He's a guy who can put the ball in the bucket. So while, yes, he's checking boxes and doing other things, but the main thing that he's known for, he's not really doing – with this lakers team and so that's where fans get frustrated right the expectations are okay this guy's gonna be a 15 point per game scorer for the lakers all right maybe maybe 12 right when they're when you're sharing the floor with lebron but lebron goes out d'angelo russell goes out what do you need you need more scoring Rui is the guy that we looked at as hey this guy can step up this guy can put the ball in the basket instead his finishing around the rim has left a lot to be desired he has not been finishing the ball well around the basket At all, he's only shooting 50% from the field from two, shot 55% as a Washington Wizard. Uh, Man, even in fact, three feet, anything outside of three feet away from the basket, from three to 10 feet, he's shooting 32% right now, 65% at the rim. That's at the rim, 65%. He shot 80% at the rim as a Washington Wizard. And if you just, the eye test, you watch him play, you can see that something's going on with his finishing at the basket. So I do think better days lie ahead for Rui Hachimura, but getting a little bit concerned. Getting a little bit concerned. Again, I I do think that Darvin's right and that he's doing other things for this team. He's helping out in other ways, which is important. But this Lakers team also needs him to put the ball in the basket, hopefully. That starts up as he gets a little bit more settled on the squad. Okay, let's dive into the Monday mailbag. Most of these comments coming in from our post-game show after the Lakers beat the Golden State Warriors. Man, what a big win that was, both in terms of the standings, the team morale, the energy, all of that. Now they've got another big one coming up tomorrow against the Memphis Grizzlies, who just, oh man, blew a huge lead and found a way to lose to the Clippers. That would have been so helpful. If the Grizzlies had beat the Clippers and then lost to the Lakers, hopefully the Grizzlies don't come out firing on Tuesday against the Lakers looking to make up for that game because that would be disastrous if the Lakers were to drop Tuesday's game. But in any event, let's get into the Monday Mailbag here. Mark Polo Corleone said, D. Ham has to coach Energy. Energy Dennis was asked to play Curry. Perimeter defense, bring the ball up. He got tired. Golden State was hunting him. Hit five threes on Schroeder to cut into the 20-point lead. Yeah, I mean, Ham went back to Schroeder to close out the game. And he did okay staying with Steph Curry. I mean, look, when you're looking at this Lakers roster, who's your best bet to defend Steph Curry? It's Look, Vando is a a guy who can defend just about anybody, right? Jared Vanderbilt is tremendous. He spent time defending Clay Thompson. You can have him defend some bigger players as well. He's all over the place. But I think that may be outside of even his wheelhouse to go defend Steph Curry. That's probably asking even a bit much a vando to go chase curry around the floor so dennis is your quickest player austin reeves can spend some minutes there and he can do something with his height he's six five compared to just six foot or six one for dennis Schroeder. so that gives you a little bit different look austin did have a really big block on on, uh, curry earlier in the game although reeves did mention in the post game that uh after that block curry really got going it was like he took that personally and then next thing you know he was draining all these threes against the lakers um in the second half there but Schroeder, I understand why Ham went to him because what else are you going to do? If you want somebody that's going to be able to chase Curry around a billion screens, Schroeder, just with his speed, probably has the best shot of doing that. Now, again, Schroeder hasn't been great the last couple of games. I thought the Wolves maybe maybe stumbled upon something by defending Schroeder with size, and that really gave him problems. So that's something to watch moving forward. I still think, you know, the sooner you can get D'Angelo Russell back, the better. Schroeder is, based on his contract in terms of bang for your buck, I think he's been good for the Lakers this season. He's been really good. In fact, uh, he's had games where you know LeBron's been out or AD's been out Shooter stepped up and, and put up 20 plus points. He had you know, 25, 26, a few games. Um, he's had some really big games to help keep the Lakers afloat. You just can't expect him to do that night in, night out, especially on a, on a veteran minimum contract. You're not even paying him to do that. You're asking him to do things that are above his pay grade out of necessity. I think Shooter as a sixth man, you're feeling pretty good about, but ultimately if you your starting point guard and you're asking him, score 15 to 20 points per game while providing fantastic defense you're probably not going to get that consistently out of him nor should you be expecting to get it consistently out of him because that's not really his true role on the team so d'angelo russell fingers crossed hopefully he's back sooner rather than later uh jalen jackson said i thought jazz had the tiebreaker yeah i mentioned on the live show that the lakers would move in to the 10 seed if the Jazz lost that game. But uh, I did forget that the Jazz actually owned the tiebreaker for beating the Lakers a few times earlier on in the season. So that kept them uh, the Lakers out of the play-in mix officially. Uh, 360 said, it seems to me Lonnie would be a better starter than Beasley, more physical and active on both sides of the ball. So I think there's a couple things here. Now, I've said this uh, a bunch recently that LeBron and D'Lo being out negatively impacts Malik Beasley more than any other Laker because he's so reliant on other players drawing the attention of the defense for him to spring free and be able to shoot that three-pointer. That is 85 to 90% of his offense is shooting threes. That's what he does. Every once in a while, he'll get a little runner in the lane or something like that. But it's the three-point shooting. That's what he brings. And we saw what Golden State did. Minnesota did the same thing really trying to stick with Malik Beasley. They're doing everything they can to just stay glued to him, not let him come off of curls, and even have a moment of daylight to get a shot off. Teams are very, very aware of his shooting ability, and they go really, really in-depth into making sure that he doesn't get those opportunities. So with that being the case, if LeBron's not on the floor, if D'Angelo Russell isn't on the floor, Lonnie Walker is going to be the better option in terms of just creating his own look. If you give Lonnie the ball and say, hey, there's five seconds on the clock. We need you to go get a shot off. He can do that. And he's so athletic. He can get through the basket. That doesn't mean he's going to give you a great performance every single night. And sometimes he can get lost defensively. But I see where you can make the argument that given the context of this team right now, without D'Lo, without AD, Lonnie might make some sense. Though, I don't totally buy it. I get the argument. But personally, I'm keeping Beasley out on the floor. Why? because Anthony Davis still needs floor spacing. So even if you see Malik Beasley only got up four three-pointers against the Warriors, that's not enough. He needs much higher volume in his three-point attempts. He only got up four three-pointers. But again, the Warriors were glued to him. They were uh, right with him. The entire time he was behind the three-point line, they're going over every screen, selling out, doing everything possible to once again not give him even a split second to get a shot off. They're not defending Lonnie Walker the same way. You're not defending anybody else the same way. Malik Beasley is the only Laker who gets that treatment night in and night out. And there is a domino effect with that, where when teams really care about a player behind the three-point line, well, that opens things up in the middle. So I think you're going to get a better version of Anthony Davis by having Malik Beasley on the floor. Now you can say Lonnie makes sense because he can create his own shot. If Malik Beasley is being defended the way that he is, is he going to give you a 20-point-per-game scoring average while LeBron's out, while D'Angelo Russell's out? No, probably not. He's much more of a weapon with those guys on the floor because they're going to attract so much attention. But the way he's defended still has an overall benefit to this Lakers team. It opens up driving lanes, op- opens up the paint again for Anthony Davis. Now, Lonnie has shot well enough from three where teams should probably respect him out there, but he still isn't the catch-and-shoot, on-the-move guy that Malik Beasley is, and so therefore Beasley's going to get more attention behind the arc. That's why I would stick with him, but I do think that Lonnie has played well enough to get more minutes moving forward. Now, again, he didn't shoot well against Golden State, but he does bring things to this Lakers team that they can certainly use, particularly while LeBron James and D'Angelo Russell are out. I just wouldn't pull Malik Beasley out of the starting lineup because I think that he has a greater effect than just the numbers that he individually puts up because his gravity really is such a big deal. Uh, G2matic said, "I'm ready to give Vanderbilt Darth Vanderbilt or Darth Vando." We've been trying to come up with nicknames for Jared Vanderbilt, and there are some that, um, the you know, we saw when he makes a big defensive play, he's the wall that Vanderbilt, right? Things like that um, come into play, but I don't know. I think Vando is just so natural, and it's so ingrained already that that's just, it's what his nickname's going to be. Now, we can throw in some puns and things like that. When he gets an and one, it's a Vand one, right? Like that, we can do some things like that with it. But I just think Vando is probably what's going to stick and what it's what has stuck. I I think anything that we do to try to improve upon that, it's probably going to come across feeling forced. We can certainly have fun with it in in the moment and do some cool things with it and things like that. But I think the official nickname, it's just going to wind up sticking as Vando, just because it's so simple and, uh, and easy to go through. Low hanging fruit, but it is what it is. Uh, Goatman said, Oh man, he typed it in all caps. So we know how serious he is. I don't know why, but I feel like the six to seven seed is not crazy. Imagine how things open up more when D comes back. Hashtag go lake show. So the six to seven seed, as of this moment, in order to get there right now, The Lakers currently sitting in, as I'm recording this, they're in 11th place in the Western Conference. They are knotted with the Utah Jazz in record, both teams 31 and 34. They are uh, in the 11th seed because of that tiebreaker. Uh, New Orleans is in action tonight, so maybe that changes things up a little bit, as are the Portland Trailblazers. So again, we can wind up with, well, we can wind up with a four-way tie, essentially for if the Pelicans lose and the Blazers uh, win, we would have a four-way tie in the Western Conference for the time being. It is insane how compact the Western Conference is. But in order to get to the sixth seed, the Lakers are two and a half games behind the Minnesota Timberwolves. The sixth seed would probably be a lot more achievable had they won the game against the Wolves. Seventh seed, the Lakers are two games behind the Dallas Mavericks, but the Mavs don't have a very difficult schedule down the stretch. And remember, the Lakers are playing without LeBron and without D'Angelo Russell right now. If the Lakers had LeBron and had D'Lo and we saw how good that team looked, when they had everybody that what one and a half games or whatever that we got to see, they looked really good. I think they would be a lot more dangerous. Of course, if they had those guys and I'd be a lot more optimistic about them getting there. But since LeBron went out, the Lakers are two and two playing 500 basketball, 500 basketball is not going to be good enough to move up. That's the problem. They have to reel off a string of wins. They can't just go win one, lose one, win one, lose one, win two, lose two or, or whatever. You can't play 500 basketball if you're the Lakers. You have to play significantly above 500 basketball in order to make up ground on your opponents. And you especially have to beat your opponents. That's why losing to Minnesota was was such a big deal. So you have to make up ground on your opponents, which means you've got to win a lot more games than you lose. And without LeBron, without D'Lo, again, who knows when D'Lo is going to be back. Hopefully he's back tomorrow night against Memphis, but we'll see. But without those guys, I think it's just, a more difficult task to win enough games to move all the way up to the sixth seed because on the surface you see, oh, two and a half games, that's not that many. There's only 18 games left in the season. And so getting that done, winning two winning three more games essentially than the Wolves win from here on out may not be easy, particularly knowing that, hey, the Mavs could go on a win streak. They don't have that difficult a schedule. What if the Clippers go on a win streak now that they finally, unfortunately, won a game uh, against the Memphis Grizzlies last night? Other teams are right there in the mix too. So I wouldn't say it's likely that the Lakers finish in the six to seven seed. For me, I'm hopeful. Again, you're, you're still, you're two games back of the Clippers, two games back of the Mavs best case. I've got the Lakers winding up in either the seven or the eight seed, which that is actually a big deal because then the play in tournament is double elimination instead of single. If you're the nine or 10 seed, lose one game and you go home. You have to win two. You have to win two in a row. And if you lose either of them, you're out. Whereas if you're the seven or eight seed, you're going to play at most two games to get one win. You get one win, either win the first game or win the second game, and you're in. So I would be much more comfortable, of course, if the Lakers were either the seven or the eight seed. And I think that is somewhat realistic target for the Lakers. But again, they've got to string together wins and without a healthy team, that's not going to be easy to do that with. By the way, no update on Mobamba either, who also has a sprained ankle. What is going on with the Lakers and their ankles? We've got LeBron, D'Angelo Russell, now Mobamba too?
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire right now and support our show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast, indeed.com slash blue wire terms and conditions apply need to hire. You need indeed.
1: Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put lifelock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus with a us based restoration specialist on your team, You won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. I don't know. Maybe we just need to invest in adamantium-laced or vibranium-laced, I should say, ankle braces or something for this team. Super Dope Hip Hop says, Austin Reeves, 32 minutes per game. 10 of 12 on the field and 10 to 12 field goal attempts. He'd average 17, five and four. Okay. We're going to get to that. Actually, let, let me get to that right now. So 10 to 12 field goal attempts and he'd average 17 a game. So Austin, as of right now, and he's been playing tremendous basketball. I thought he was, he was absolutely fantastic against the golden state. Warriors really stepped up for the Lakers. Right now, he's only averaging seven attempts per game, and I'm rounding up to get there. 6.9 shot attempts per game right now for Austin Reeves. And you could say that's not enough. He's averaging 11 points. He's shooting 51% from the field and 39% from three, plus 88% from the free throw line. That is incredible efficiency for Austin Reeves. So he's saying that if Austin was shooting 10 to 12 times per game, he's putting up 17 points and still getting five and four boards and and assists I don't know if his rebounds and assists go up with more shot volume but here's what typically happens just like I started the show off talking about Rui that typically when shot volume goes down because a player is suddenly seeing their usage rate drop shot quality tends to go up so their percentages go up even as their shot volume the number of shots they take goes down with Austin Reeves I don't think we can just assume, and I, I haven't done the math, so he may have already been factoring this in. I know Superdope is, is really good with all the numbers and the stats and everything, but I don't know, does Austin still shoot 50% from the field if he's taking double the shots, say? He's taking significantly more shot attempts. Is he still shooting 50%? Now, maybe you can say, well, even if he drops to 47% from the field, it's still worth it. And I think that's an argument you definitely can make. I just don't know that his efficiency stays the same if you see him shooting more. Also, I know Austin's mindset is very much of uh, a passer. Right? We saw eight assists against the Golden State Warriors. He played point guard uh, before he got to the Lakers. That was his position. That's his mindset. And so I think that's I think that's who he's going to be part of. And his mindset isn't going to be score first as often as I think it needs for him to be a major scorer for the Lakers. I just don't think that's his game. And part of the brilliance of his game is that he can do a little bit of everything. He can knock in a three. He can drive to the basket and score. He can pass the ball. He can defend. He can do anything that you need him to do, but he's not going to go out there and drop 30, right? That's not really his game. It's not really what he does. That said, I don't think he's necessarily wrong, particularly with LeBron and D'Lo out. I would like to see Austin probably shooting the ball a little bit more, looking to be a little bit more aggressive just because he has been so efficient as a Laker, and he's so smart with his decision-making with the basketball. Uh, He also adds, Rui is not it. 44, 27, and 70, 9, 5, and 1 on 0.6 steals and blocks, minus 32, tweener with negative defense, negative finisher, flat shot, 8 to 10 million a year, maybe, or piece. Again, I started off the show talking about Rui, so I won't rehash all that stuff, but when you look at, what Rui's going to make this summer. And the Lakers are in the driver's seat to keep him. But when the Lakers first traded for him, what we were talking about was him making somewhere in the 12 to 18 million range, right? Somewhere in there. 18 is definitely on the high side, but 12 sounded maybe even a little bit low for look wings get paid in this league. There's no question. Now he's not shot the ball. Well, his shot is indeed very flat. And so it gives little margin for error if he's off a little, because he doesn't have a lot of arc in a shot. If he's off a little bit, it's a miss. I think better days lie ahead for Rui in terms of scoring the ball. I don't think what we've seen from him so far is necessarily indicative of who he is as a player on the offensive end. But yeah, if you told me right now, Rui Hachimura is hitting the free agent market now, like say summer was suddenly here, it's July. <laughs> what are you willing to pay? $8 million is not... It feels more right with what we've seen from him recently. And that's tough because he could have got more from Washington. I think it, the rumor was that he turned down more from Washington. Turned down like 15 per year. I don't see him getting that given his current role in the Lakers, but again, if you're the Lakers, you gave up three second round picks to get him. So there's you're committed to a degree, right? You've spent significant assets getting him, and so for him to just walk away in the off season would be a loss would not be something that you want to see. You're, you're committed to him and and to building this out and making him part of your team moving forward. Look, if he says 8 million per season, great, sign him up. That's fine. That's just fine for a wing who can do the things that he does, but the Lakers may be put in a different difficult spot. If Rui doesn't get going here over the final, whatever it is, 17, 18 games left, then you're in a difficult spot. If Rui's saying, Oh, I want 15 million per season. And, You don't feel like he's worth that, but you gave up a bunch of second round picks, which have value, especially on this Lakers team with this scouting department, those second round picks absolutely have value. So if he gave up that stuff to get him, you don't want him to just walk away for nothing either. Might be a difficult position to be in for the Lakers front office this summer. We'll see again. Ideally, Rui gets going, proves himself, and you feel comfortable paying him a little bit more. I do think positive regression is coming for Rui and he'll shoot better. And he's doing other things like Darvin mentioned. But yeah, if you had to ask me right now, what are you comfortable giving Rui Hachimura in free agency? Probably that $8 million range. Because I don't think you're going to pencil him in as a starter. I think he's going to be an off-the-bench guy. Um, I would have to imagine right now if Lakers fans got to pick, all things were equal. You forget about the what they've committed in terms of future assets and all that. If you got to pick between keeping Troy Brown or keeping Rui, I'd imagine most Lakers fans would prefer to keep Troy Brown. Um, Yeah. And and that's just, Rui's not been shooting the ball well lately. Hopefully it comes back around. Rodney, Ham's rotation worries me. I wish Austin Reeves played more than Dennis. He's got the IQ that we need with LeBron and D'Lo out. Hope he tightens up his handle this summer. Yeah. I'd have to imagine that's something Austin will work on. That's something I've noticed as well. Other teams are really trying to pressure him when he's handling the basketball because Well, part of it is he's 6'5", so he's farther away from the ground than Dennis, who's 6'1", but teams are trying to take advantage of Austin maybe not having the tightest handle, so that's something to consider. But yeah, Dennis is getting more minutes. He, like, he's been a favorite, And, and Dennis, look overall, I think he probably gets too much grief. I think he's been pretty darn good for the Lakers relative to his contract and relative to what the expectations were for him coming into the season. He's been pretty good. But that being said, I do think that Austin should be getting just as many minutes as Dennis Schroeder does. And that just, that hasn't been happening. Darwin's been relying a lot more on Schroeder. Now, again, Austin was great against golden state and maybe that's a sign of things to come. And we're going to see more minutes with Austin Reeves, but long-term Austin is the guy who's going to be on this team for the next five years. Plus if all things go. Well, Schroeder's not, I wouldn't imagine. I would like to see, Austin get more opportunities there to log the heavier minutes. But again, that's not to say anything bad about Dennis Schroeder. I think that even though he didn't have a great offensive game against Golden State, I think if we look at the season as a whole, it's hard to be disappointed with what the Lakers have gotten out of Dennis. Joey, much love for Switzerland. See, this this is the great thing about having those earlier games is you get fans from Europe who are able to come in and see a game at a reasonable hour right? They're not having to stay up till three or four in the morning to, to watch a game. And obviously, depending on where you are, that may or may not be true. But um, I saw a lot of fans in Europe who were thankful that they got to see a game because it was started at 1230 Pacific time. Uh, he said, glad to see AD going off without having to mess up my sleep. <laughs> there you go. Case in point. I think despite all the injuries to our creators, we're on a solid run right now. Let's continue with that. Agreed. You're two and two, though, since LeBron went out, And again, you've got to start racking up wins. So the Lakers have Memphis coming up, then Toronto, then New York. The Knicks have been fantastic. Beat the Celtics uh, last night in double OT. Can you? And thank you, Knicks, for beating the Celtics. We're always going to celebrate a Celtics loss. But can the Lakers sustain success now? Can you pick up a win against a Memphis team without John Morant, without Brandon Clark? Can you pick up a win against the Raptors? Can you find a way to get a win against a Knicks team that, again, has been great lately? You've got to string together. Three, four wins, then lose a game, then win two more. Then maybe you lose a game, then you win three more, right? Like you can't do the win one, lose one thing. Can't do it. You can't trade baskets, as it were. Can't do that. Lakers have to string together wins if they're going to move up in the standings. Brandon said, paid way too much money for Wi Fi on my flight back from my bachelor party to watch this. And I'm so happy the boys got it done. Well, Brandon, first of all, thank you for your commitment. Thank you for paying for Wi-Fi so you could watch our post-game show live after the Lakers took down the Golden State Warriors. Hopefully the bachelor party was a lot of fun and you enjoyed getting to see the Lakers take down the Warriors. Again, thank you so much, Brandon, for for getting the Wi-Fi and joining in with the show remotely. Um, Yeah, Lakers Nation, you you guys are the best. Love all the support that we've been getting from all of you. Tom Tom, shout out from Poland. See, more people coming in from Europe. So cool not having to pull a half-nighter to see the Lakers. I'm not a huge fan of the midday games particularly, but it is fantastic seeing more of our international fans getting to see the games. Uh, AD is a beast. Vando, Austin, Troy are great. Let's get this Grizzlies. That's right. He was, I believe he was talking about the Grizzlies against the Clippers. We were hoping the Grizzlies would beat the Clippers. The Grizzlies put up 51 points in the third. They were up like 13 or so. Um, going into the fourth and and just completely forgot how to score the basketball. And oh my gosh, there were some terrible calls. Paul George literally tackled Jaron Jackson Jr. while he was going for a rebound, and the referees didn't call it. Like the Clippers got away with everything in the fourth quarter and they came back. Um, but this isn't a Clippers podcast. So I was uh, doing a bit of scouting for the Warriors or for the Grizzlies for next game. That said, I pulled a stat. I think this is interesting. So I pulled a stat earlier today. I looked it up. Austin Reeves and Troy Brown Jr. both stepped up big time against Golden State. They were great. Anthony Davis was great. Dropped 39 points. And I thought, you know, Troy is kind of that unsung guy, right? He's that guy that knocks in a few threes, never puts up a big stat line, really. He's not putting up 20 and 10 or something like that, but he'll give you like nine and five and play good defense, right? Played 41 minutes against the Warriors. But I'm like, you know what? I bet that's the kind of guy that the advanced metrics love. And Austin, we know the advanced metrics love him. And sure enough, so I looked this up. Anthony Davis, Austin Reeves, Troy Brown Jr. As a trio, according to Cleaning the Glass, without LeBron James on the floor and without Russell Westbrook. So those three players, no other stars. No LeBron, no Russ the entire season. What have they done? they're a plus 8.1 points per 100 possessions. Plus 8.1 without LeBron, without Russ, no other star on the floor. Austin, Troy, AD as a trio. That's incredible. That is, I mean, that's dominance. 8.1 points per 100 possessions better than your opponent on average. That's not like, hey, you had a good, I'm talking about the entire season. That's not, hey, you had one good night and Austin got hot from three and Troy did two and AD was good. And so therefore the Lakers were, were great. No, I'm talking about over the course of the entire season, that trio is on average 8.1 points per 100 possessions better than their opponents. Wow. That's, I mean, that is tremendous stuff. And it tells you that, hey, Darvin, if you're going to lean on anything with this, with no LeBron, With no D'Angelo Russell. That trio being on the floor together, probably a good one to lean upon. And you know what? Austin and AD together, not quite as good. Troy Brown and AD together, not quite as good. Those duos, it's the trio. It's the three of them. And I think it's just the switchability of the players defensively. It's the ability to shoot from outside, which helps open things up for AD. There's a synergy there between those three players. So that's something I want to keep an eye on moving forward. Number one, How do those players continue to play, the the three of them together? And number two, how often does Darvin go to that? How often does he lean on Troy, Austin, and AD being on the floor together? Something worth watching here. Gio said, Rui is making many mistakes. Can't finish at the basket last game. This one didn't switch and gave up an open three to Curry. Benched twice in a row now. He needs more work. Yeah. Now, again, Darvin defended Rui. Gave him a lot of credit for doing the other things out there on the floor. But it's hard not to feel a little bit underwhelmed. Like, we were so excited for Rui. His first few games with the Lakers, thought it looked really good. He was running the floor with LeBron. And maybe that's it. Maybe maybe Rui's a guy who's going to play better with LeBron than without. There's a lot of players that are like that. Maybe that's what it's going to take. But I don't think that was the perception we had of Rui coming in. The perception was that Rui was a guy where if LeBron is not on the floor... Rui can just put the ball in the basket for you. And you need the you need that. You need guys who can do that for you, who can just, hey, LeBron's not in. We need somebody who can manufacture something. Rui, here's the ball. Go work your mid-range magic and put it in the basket. That's what you need. And the Lakers just haven't gotten that consistently enough out of Rui Hachimura. It's been unfortunate. Hopefully it gets better. Rodney, in defense of Rui, everyone's saying Rui is trash, got to stop. He doesn't have the green light like Dennis and A.D. He's not really given a chance to get to his spots. Also fair to wonder, are there ways the Lakers can maximize his talents more? Is it worth it to do that? Right? I mean, that was always the discussion topic with Russell Westbrook. I'm not saying Ruby is like Russ or anything, but the discussion with Russ was always okay. Well, in order to maximize in order to get the best version of Russell Westbrook, you have to do X, Y, and Z. You have to have all shooters around him, no center or whatever, whatever it is you want to do. Um, you had certain things that you had to do in order to maximize Russell Westbrook. But then the question is, well, is it worth it? Are you, is that is maximizing Russell Westbrook a winning proposition or not? At one point it was, and I think now it's probably not. Is it a similar concept with Rui where yes, Darwin can do things to get him more involved, but is getting him more involved a winning proposition compared to getting Anthony Davis more involved, getting Dennis Schroeder into the paint, getting uh, Austin Reeves looks from the perimeter, getting Malik Beasley looks from the perimeter. What's more important? Yes, you can get Rui more involved, but what is more likely to lead to team success? I think that's what the question becomes. And then if it's the answer is not Rui, well, then he's got to figure out ways to be effective without necessarily being force-fed the ball or being guided into spots by a certain Play call. I think it's fair to say that people are probably a little too down on Rui. And like I said, I think positive regression is coming. I think that he's got the size. He's got the wingspan. He's got what you're looking for. Yes, he leaves a lot to be desired finishing at the rim. Yes, you'd like to see the shooting percentages come up. But shooting percentages are not static. We see guys go through slumps. We see guys come out of them. And we go through hot streaks. Catavius Pope, case in point, would go on slumps for months. And then he would come out of it and suddenly he's shooting 60% from three or whatever. He finishes shooting 40% from deep on the season. Um, shooting percentages aren't static. And so I do wonder and think that there probably is more, you know, better days coming. So I'll say this, Lakers, Lakers Nation. Don't just dismiss Rui. Don't say, okay, he's, he's gone. Based on how he's playing right now, it's fair to wonder what he gets in free agency. But I also don't think this is what we're going to see out of him for the remainder of the season. I think better days do come here for Rui. A Wicked Bronco was asking whether or not earlier in the show, whether or not LeBron would play when the Lakers play the Bulls. He's saying the 29th. They play the Bulls uh, two games in a row. So my answer probably still stays stays the same, that it's unlikely. Uh, Shams Tarani, mentioned that a little bit earlier today, that look the three-week mark does not mean LeBron's back in three weeks. He's probably out longer than that. More likely, it's just, hey, can they get him back before the playoffs? Can they get him back with a few games left? The Lakers essentially have to make the playoffs without LeBron. So I, I would love to be able to say, yep, that game that you spent money on, the game that you bought tickets for to go see the Lakers play the Bulls, LeBron will be back just in time for that. I would say it's unlikely, though. It's not a, It's not impossible, but probably unlikely. Uh, Matt Creeks said, enjoy that nail-biter here in Orlando. Rooting for the Magic now. Great work, Trev. Yeah, unfortunately, the Magic did not get the win last night over the Blazers. But again, the most important thing was the Lakers won their game and they indeed did. By the way, we went four for six overall on the night in terms of the wins and losses we were looking for every day on my Twitter account at Trevor underscore Lane. I tweet out what Lakers fans should be rooting for, what matchups we should be looking at, who we should hope is, is winning each particular game. And uh, there were six of them last night and we, were, we hit on four of the six. The team that we needed to win won the game, uh, including the Lakers, of course, win over Golden State without being the most important. RV, Rui is having the same problem as 2020 Kuz, in my opinion. He still hasn't really found his role yet. As long as he's decent defensively and can hit shots when needed, his size is useful too. It'll be fine. Yeah, if the shooting comes around to where he's hitting, if he shoots 33, 34% from three and shoots a bit better from the field, then yeah, like all, all is pretty much forgiven. I think he can do enough defensively. He can help you out enough on the boards. And I also think that's a decent comparison. Kyle Kuzma, Never really settled into a role that season, and the Lakers coaching staff w- weren't really sure how to use him. Talked about this a bunch on the show, but that was media day that year. Jared Dudley was asked, You know, does everybody know their role in the team? And he said, Yep, everybody knows their roles except for Kyle Kuzma because the coaches don't know how to use him just yet. They don't know what his role is going to be. Sometimes versatility can be a curse, like Contavious Caldwell Pope. You know exactly what his role is. Three indeed, Malik Beasley. We know what his role is. Malik Beasley can be a Laker. He could be a Nick. He could be an Orlando Magic. He could be a Maverick. Doesn't matter what team he's on. His role is going to be the same. He's going to be a three-point shooter. He's the sniper. That's what he does. That's it, right? Kyle Kuzma, his versatility makes it so he could play a number of different roles, and that role may change team to team. That role may change season to season. That may role, That role may change midseason, and Rui isn't as versatile as Kuzma was. But you can see the similar a similar issue happening where, okay, we think we want him to start, and he's going to play like this off of LeBron. No, wait. Okay, he's going to come off the bench, and he's going to play next to these guys. Oh no, wait. We're going to trade away these players. Oh, now LeBron's hurt. Delos hurt. Okay, Rui's role is going to shift now this way. That's a lot. That's a lot to catch up with. And I think we have to remember that even though it feels like Rui's been a Laker for a long time, he's really one of the new guys too. I consider him one of the trade deadline acquisitions, even though he came in a little bit before the trade deadline. Kraken says, Trevor, what is wrong with D'Lo's ankle? Is it broken? He's been out four games for a supposedly mild ankle sprain. Yeah, it's five games now that he's missed. Again, I, I wish the Lakers would overestimate their injury returns so that we wouldn't be you know, freaking out every time a player is not ready to go by in the timeline that we expect them to be. Again, I thought Delo might play against OKC based on the things that were coming out and he didn't. Then we thought, oh, OK, well, then he's definitely, definitely he's going to play against Minnesota. Nope. Oh, OK. Well, then there's zero chance he doesn't play against Gold State. Oh, no. What is going on then? Right. And so people get frustrated and rightfully so that the player's not back. And sometimes that frustration translates or transfers over to the player themselves, which I don't think is always fair, but yeah, I, I wish we had a better idea of what's going on with D'Angelo Russell. What's going on with his ankle. Darvin Ham just keeps saying he's day to day. Clearly saying his day, he's day to day from the get go was not correct because now it's been over a week. So he wasn't day to day when he first got hurt. He was week to week. But when you say day to day, that builds expectations that he's going to be back soon. And that's caused people to question well, what's going is it is D'Angelo Russell not tough enough? Is that what's happening? Right. That's the conversation that I see out there. And it's unfortunate, it's avoidable. You shouldn't be putting stuff like that out there if it's not going to be accurate. If anything, overestimate. And then people will be happy. You say, hey, he's going to be out two weeks and he comes back in a week and a half. People are going to go, Oh, cool. Wow, this guy's back already. He heals so fast. It's amazing. He must have put in such great work. Instead, we get he's day-to-day, and then the expectations are he's going to be back the next day or something and then people get upset so i will say this part of the problem too is d'angelo russell's ankle injury looked way less worse than dennis Schroeder's. dennis Schroeder's looked like oh my gosh is this guy's season over this is grotesque his ankle touched the floor how is this guy how how is this guy ever going to come back right delos you went Oh, he tweaked his ankle a little bit. All right, I've done that a million times, play and pick up, he's fine. But you don't know what's happening inside the ankle, what's happening with those ligaments. And that's the problem. Um, I've seen some people say that maybe, uh, this was a conversation going on online, that maybe Schroeder's skateboarding helped his ankles, helped with his his ligaments being looser there and being able to deal with stuff like that. Because this is twice now that we've seen Schroeder look like his ankle is done and then come back and actually play in that game and not miss any time. It's crazy. Um, again, his injury looked way worse, but so that's actually been bad for the D'Angelo Russell situation because fans see Schroeder and they go, oh, look how tough Dennis Schroeder is. And then they see what happened with D'Lo and what's he doing? What excuse does he have? Schroeder's ankle touched the floor. Delo didn't do that. Why is D'Lo out, right? But what's actually happening in the ankle can be very, very different person to person. And so... Again, fingers crossed. Hopefully he's back against Memphis, but man, the Lakers really need him. You could see it in multiple games now where they're just missing their two main playmakers and D'Angelo Russell and LeBron James, and they need them back and in action. Uh, Little Dex said, our medical staff sucks. Why keep info from us? Downplay everything for no reason. One day it's day to day, then the player's out for weeks without info. Why? Yeah, I think the Lakers could do a better job in terms of managing the information that gets out there In these types of situations, they like to try to keep things quiet when I think they could take a lot of pressure off the player if they just overestimated on some of their timelines. Um, If that was what was getting out there, if they said, hey, we're going to probably have this guy out for a month, if they really think he's going to be out for two weeks or two and a half weeks or something, that would be a lot better because then you wouldn't have these expectations. And then instead you would get surprise guys back early and then people are happy. You know, under promise, over deliver, all that. All right, Lakers Nation. I appreciate everybody who submitted questions for this show. A lot of comments about Rui Hachimura. So what I'd like to do is have fans in the comments section over here on the Lakers Nation YouTube channel or in the reviews over on Apple Podcasts. Let us know your thoughts on Rui. What does he need to do? Because the Lakers obviously committed some real resources towards getting him. Trading away Kendrick, none of those second-round picks. Those second-round picks are particularly valuable to a team like the Lakers with the scouting department they have. What do the Lakers need to get out of Rui Hachimura, and how do you get there? How do you get those things from him? Give me your thoughts in the comments section. Make sure you are subscribing to the Lakers Nation YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Lakers Nation. And, of course, check out the LakersNation.com podcast. Great way to take the show with you wherever you go, over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Till next time, everybody. See ya and stay
0: safe. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast.